ladies and gentlemen, this is the show. We are sitting down with Maggie and Brad Jones. We're going to hear about that when Maggie turned 40, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She received a prognosis of less than one year to live. Now, she's been cancer-free for four years now, and she has dedicated her whole life to sharing the evidence-based treatments that dramatically improved her survival and her quality of life. This is an incredible story, and you can't go away. And I, I just ask you to give this podcast the space and the reverence that it deserves. Maggie is joined with her husband, Brad, a very prominent filmmaker, and they are the force behind an award-winning docuseries featuring some of the lead scientists and practitioners on the metabolic theory of cancer and associated therapies. You can see Cancer Revolution. They are going to do a world premiere in September, and they're going to do a live summit. So that's cancerrevolution.events, one R in that title. And you can use code FREDDY20 to get a discount on the summit. I really want you to check this out. There'll be links in the show notes. Team, this episode, my heart was on the edge of exploding out of my chest for the entire hour. I hope it moves you the same way. It's time to do this. Guys, this is the time to do the work. Let's jump on in. Welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel, and on this show, we explore the survivor's journey, practitioners making a difference, and the therapeutic treatments and transformational technology that allow the body to heal itself. Witness the inspiration we gain by navigating the human experience with grace, humility, and a healthy dose of mistakes, because part of being human is being beautifully broken. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. We are back with another exciting look into the world of documentary filmmaking and filmmaking about topics we love to talk about, health, wellness, vitality, and especially today we're going to jump into the cancer revolution with Maggie and Brad Jones. Welcome to the show. Freddie, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a treat and I previewed the episode one of the documentary this morning. And as I was saying, I was so moved by the quality of the filmmaking and the music and the storytelling and the integrity of the data. What an exciting thing for people to experience. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's all Brad. His background is in filmmaking. Uh, We're lucky. It's a joint. This is a joint effort. This is, yeah, (laughs) no one person could take this on. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. And it's personal. It's personal. Maggie, you made this for a reason. Brad, you made this for a reason. The United Front, as we'll, we'll frame it. If you couldn't, just for the audience, why make a series of impacting film? called The Cancer Revolution. So it all started in 2018 when Brad and I moved to Hong Kong from Los Angeles. We'd never been to Asia before, definitely never Hong Kong. And exactly one month later, the month of my 40th birthday, I was diagnosed with terminal stage four lung cancer that had spread to my brain, my eye, and everywhere throughout my body. I was given about six to eight months to live was a median survival rate for that diagnosis at the time. My doctor thought, you know, I'm healthy. Maybe I'd make it a year. At the time, all I wanted to do was die well. I wanted to make Brad proud of me. My doctor's proud of me. I was like, well, this is it. Let's do it right. And thank God that lasted about five days. (laughs) Brad took me away for a weekend, you know, this Friday after my diagnosis. And I started reading books. And I started with simple cancer books like Radical Mission or something by Chris Carr. And then I discovered fasting and I started reading more about this and I started reading more about the metabolic theory of cancer and associated metabolic treatments. And I got really into that. And one year later, exactly one year from my diagnosis, when I should have been dead, I was cancer-free and I was diagnosed with no evidence of disease. And I've continued living this incredible life. I have a great quality of life. In fact, the only thing that impacts me is a hangover from my traditional uh, conventional treatment, I did brain radiation. So I have 
brain radiation necrosis, which can cause some difficulty speaking for me. So you might hear that on the podcast, but Brad is here next to me. Um, so I was continuing to live. Brad had adopted my way of eating, fasting, all of that. I started communicating with people. I had a blog and in fact, trained as a practitioner, trying to help people implement these, these strategies. And I realized that I just can't do it alone. Brad can't do it alone. But thank goodness, he is a filmmaker. He has 20 years experience doing incredible reality-based documentaries, storytelling. And he had the idea that the easiest way to get this to people was something that's easily digestible. They can sit in front of their TV and just learn why this works. Yeah. Maggie, I've got to ask you, what does it feel like to get a terminal cancer diagnosis and to sit here today and say, I have a new lease on life. Can you unpack that a little bit for people listening? Uh, it's so interesting. At the time, I was very numb. And the thing that having cancer has taught me is I was numb leading up to it. And I realized that if I only had these few months left to live, I wanted to finally live. I had been living a kind of life where I put off everything until the future. Instead of enjoying the moment, I was waiting for the dishes to be done so I could watch TV or the work week to be done so I can enjoy the, the weekend, retirement so I could maybe have some fun. And what a ridiculous way to live. And knowing that I only have these few months, I realized let's do it now. Let's enjoy every minute of these dishes of this work week, whatever it is. And I slowly started to realize just how wrong the way I've been living was and that I can enjoy every moment regardless of what I'm doing. And it's a ridiculous thing. It's terrible for people who have just been diagnosed. But for me personally, cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me because I realized I wasn't living life and it's giving me not just a new leaf on life, but actual life. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful way to phrase it. And I'm so proud of you that you've been able to come to this place. I really, I say the same thing. I say cancer is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I know that is triggering for some people. I know there's so much nuance in there and we all have a different experience and story with cancer. So I never want to dismiss the hardship and suffering and pain that goes along with cancer. Brad, how was this experience for you? What was it like to sit there with the love of your life and your partner to be diagnosed with a terminal illness? Oh, it was terrible. I mean, easily the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. You know, you, <laughs> it's just kind of the thing that you just don't ever want to go through. But I will say just as like sort of a bit of a golden lining or silver lining, something that we've realized since then is that we probably overreacted a little bit to her diagnosis where it was like she had been on this path for a while. And so it was like, when you learn about it, it's black and white because you didn't know and now you know. But there was just a lot more gray in there. And that's something that we've sort of now realized. It's like, well, when there's like a, you know, like a step backwards, that's okay. Because, you know, like a couple of steps forward are coming, right? That was really hard, like when it happened at the time. And, you know, I certainly didn't have that kind of mindset then. And uh, yeah, and that was one of the things that we still talk about to this day was just, you know, that idea of like, get it out of me, you know, like the, um, that was really hard. You understand that urgency when you first find out you have cancer. And I found out I had it everywhere and all I wanted, I was diagnosed because of tumors in my eye. And I was like, I have two, let's cut them out. And then we found them in my brain. And I was like, oh, I don't use my brain anyway. Let's cut them out. And luckily my cancer was completely inoperable, but I did have options of palliative chemotherapy and radiation. But yeah, I've finally been able to let go of that urgency, realizing that I've had cancer for a long time and everybody has a little cancer. Let's just live with it. I don't want to let it get out of control again, but I don't let it control my life. Yeah, that's beautiful. Brad, when you were going through this experience and now again, here we are in a very different place from, you said it was a, a full year from diagnosis to being in remission or cancer-free. What's that experience been like for you to live through a miracle? It was fantastic, first of all. Like, I mean, that was great. But the fun thing, actually, I mean, was that we weren't expecting to get that scan, right? You know, Maggie was sort of slowly progressing, doing, you know, marginally better and better, you know, every time we went to the doctor. But she kind of just took a big jump when we got that scan. And we kind of, I felt like we were almost stunned when we walked out of the office that day. 
I'd prepared myself to live with cancer as a chronic disease, and I was very excited by that perspective. And it seems like shortly after I really committed to that perspective, it was gone. <laughs> and I've never had a confirmed recurrence, but I feel like I have it, you know, ebbing and flowing. But again, just finding that way of not thinking that my quality of life depends on being completely cancer-free, that's been the important thing to me. And whether I feel like it's maybe ebbing or flowing, it's, it's a message to me to take care of my body and return to what I know is healing. Yeah. Maggie, where does your joy come from? What brings you joy in life? These days, it's just being able to experience it. Like we are all going to die. I'm really grateful I didn't die four years ago, but I know it's coming and just being able to cherish everything in the meantime, Brad, <laughs> you, the people that I meet, our little puppy that we got. It's a constant stream of joy that I can't get away from and I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. That's really beautiful. And Brad, I, I have to ask you the same question. Where does your joy come from? You know, lately, this documentary has really just been like a driving force. I mean, in both of our lives, but in, in my life as well. Just when you get emails from people or bump into people, you know, at a conference or something, and they just tell you how much impact you've had on their lives. I mean, I never had anything like that. You know, I mean, I had a fun career. I enjoyed it. You know, it was like I entertained people, but it pales in comparison to somebody walking up to you and just saying, keep doing what you're doing. Like you're helping people, you're saving lives, right? This is just, so yeah, that, that really keeps me going like every day. Yeah. Incredible. We were on a panel at KetoCon recently in Austin, Texas, Maggie and myself and Brad, you were backstage. And I remember you very specifically. I was like, oh, this guy's really holding space for this woman. I was like, what, what's their dynamic? I didn't know you, you know, and then we got on stage with all these people who had lived through cancer and chronic illness. And the, the one woman had had a, a heart attack the year before and all these incredible stories. It was an amazing panel. It was easily one of the better panels I've ever been on in my life the moderator included, and we had great questions from the audience. Yeah. But I felt very aligned with my purpose. And it was one of those hours that you spend in life. You're like, okay, keep doing what you're doing. Stay curious. Yeah. Keep asking these questions because this is important work. I don't know if you felt that way on that panel, Maggie. It was incredible. And honestly, Freddie, I learned so much from you, those great questions, but just waiting till the end when your answers came, it really taught me a lot. And one thing that we have noticed throughout this entire process is this community mm -hmm. is so supportive and they're all aligned for healing, not for profit or any of those other motivations. It's a community I'm just so grateful that I found through this experience, including you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I also want to just, if we can explore, Maggie, what did you do to go from <laughs> a terminal diagnosis to uh, this cancer-free scan a year later? I am so lucky that my cancer was so imminent and killing me. <laughs> if it hadn't been terminal, if it hadn't been just a couple of months, I don't think I would have been able to make the life changes that I had to. But knowing that I only had this time available to enjoy life, I took it seriously. And the number one thing I did, there's a lot of number one things. <laughs> I started that first weekend when I read those books, Brad took me away. I realized that I hadn't been treating my body well. And this was a cry out for my body saying, hey, it's time, you have to pay attention. And I decided then that I wasn't gonna put anything into my body that wasn't actively healing for it. And so I was quite the alcohol enthusiast in my early days. And so I cut out alcohol completely. I cut out all factory meats, all sugar, of course, processed food in general. And the first week was really challenging for me because my passion in life was beer and bread, <laughs> margaritas and nachos. And I remember my third day walking home from work passing this pizza store that I'd love to go in and give myself a treat and saying, man, I'm taking a blood test when I get home to check my ketones, my glucose. I can't stop there. I can't cheat a blood test and I can't cheat my death. So we went on with that. Fasting has become critical for me. At the beginning, I remember my first 24 hours were so huge. And now Brad and I, I mean, Mondays are a day we never eat, but we go for two, three days a week. And that's been incredible. Again, I was lucky. I had a lot of fat to lose. So I was able to get rid of that. And then the third, I think, is stress reduction, which for me was massive. I was taking anti-anxiety drugs, 
I had a very high stress job. Because I did take advantage of this palliative chemotherapy, I learned I had to go off my anxiety drugs, which what a weird time to go off anxiety <laughs> medication when you're about to die. So I had a background in my childhood with meditation and yoga, and I tried to get into mindfulness-based stress reduction because most of the research is there. And I tried myself and it didn't work. And thank goodness, Brad joined me and we yeah. went through the eight-week class. And now meditation and yoga are a very big part of our life. We have a sauna now, HBOT. We've completely changed our life to make sure that it's healing for us and we'll never go back. And while I'm talking, <laughs> I think that's something that a lot of people need to keep in mind that remission of cancer or even curing it or finding no evidence of disease, that's not the end. You're not healed. You have to continue this healing for however long you're fortunate enough to be on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. How have these life changes affected you, Brad? Have you been on board with everything? Have you guys done everything to an equal endeavor on this journey? I would say mostly not. I mean, I certainly didn't start eating keto diet as like the day that Maggie did. It took me a little bit while longer to kind of get on board. Some of that had to do with the fact that we had just moved to a new country and I was like looking forward to trying all these other types of cuisine. And so I had to kind of, in my own mind, sort of put that aside and be like, hey, that's trying new foods isn't as important as supporting your wife. Right. But it just took time to, you know, like kind of to do that. But eventually, yeah, we were having and then also, you know, I mean, uh, not to, to stereotype too much, but guys are kind of lazy. And, you know, she was cooking. She's like, hey, I'll make a salad for you if you want. And I was like, all right. So, you know, after a few months, it was, you know, kind of an easy call to go onto the keto diet. And then I started seeing, you know, positive changes in my body as well, which was great. There's one thing I was actually going to add to Maggie's little story about what she did. And one thing that we always like to emphasize, which is that she also did chemotherapy she became quickly resistant to one drug. And then she's had a second drug that she's stayed on that we sometimes question how efficacious it was, but nevertheless, it has helped her. Um, and I do, but I do think that's important to note that you can do the standard of care with these metabolic approaches to cancer. Yeah, And so much of the research has shown that, you know, they, they get a certain amount of efficacy with conventional treatment and with metabolic therapies, but combining them together is magic. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's a great reminder. I love that, that you brought that out. It's, it's so important to just remind people that it's, it's not about being in a camp or, um, you know, we get so attached to our belief systems, but let's, let's really focus on best possible outcome for the patient. Yeah. There, there is, yeah, there is a big piece. I, I just, it's bringing up for me. I remember the day that I, I quit sugar you know, and grains and gluten and all those things. It was 2009. And people are like, oh, well, would you ever? I'm like, no, no, I, I don't buy those things. They aren't in the house. I don't do it. And it's it's really once you once you just commit to that as your new reality, I've found personally, um, if it's not an option, it's easier. If there's a timeline to it, I'm like, oh, I only have to, you know, I get to I have to get eight months out or a year out. Then it's it's almost harder. It's more challenging. But I, I would love to hear if if um, I always notice that social engagements and parties and holidays and family gatherings was really the part where it was challenging because it brings up things for other people. That, that they often get uncomfortable and it can, can come as like a judgment towards what you're doing. How was that experience for you? Did you find a lot of support in your community or did you find that, you know, some of those things were tough to navigate? I think it's really difficult to convince people that you're not judging them just because you're doing something different than they are. Mm -hmm. But I always use my disease as an excuse. I was diagnosed shortly before the, uh, the Chinese New Year in Hong Kong and mooncakes were such a thing and people would bring them to me and I just say, oh, I'm so sorry, my cancer treatment, I can't eat this yeah. <laughs> or it'll kill me. And what I try to tell people who ask me about it, if anybody is forcing you to eat food that you don't feel is healing, they're not your friend. If you feel like it's going to kill you, there's no reason you have to eat it. 
And honestly, Brad and I just don't eat out anymore, period. But we love to entertain at home. We love, it does mean introducing our friends and family to this way of eating, which isn't how they would do it. But I still use it as an excuse. Like I'm brain damaged from my brain radiation necrosis and I'm a delicate flower and like, sorry guys, I just can't eat this food. I'll fast. And I don't mind fasting either. Yeah. Yeah. I would say people have been certainly open and supportive of Maggie doing it and, or, you know, and I do it with her. So that kind of makes sense to them. The part that's kind of become interesting is that, you know, it's really obvious to see the changes that in both Maggie and myself that we've made just by eating differently. And we're actually really surprised at how very few people have decided to like ask about that or follow up on that, mm. except for friends of ours that have cancer, then they're motivated. But, yes. uh, you know, it's like, I really wish my mom had like looked at what we are doing and had, you know, like was a little bit more motivated to just get a little bit healthier. And that's the most frustrating part is, uh, it's just trying to get other people on board and, but we don't actively really do that, but it's just, uh, just frustrating or judging people that choose not to even people with cancer who learn about it and it's not the right yeah. option for them that's okay it's not your fault you know we live in a society that we can't control i just want to emphasize again that nobody's at fault and we're not here to judge other people who can't follow these therapies yeah i would agree i think that's a profound reminder the thing that comes up for me that i've been hearing a lot it's like there's such a profound we said this in the beginning you can come to a place where you feel like cancer is a gift, where it's the best thing that's ever happened to you. And I just see it be this profound catalyst of making change that will last. I feel like for me, the changes I'm making are going to go forward and backward generations in my lineage. And without the cancer, I never would have made these changes. I had a doctor consulting. I was in on a consultation the other day. And this woman was talking about her chronic Lyme disease and her MS and her rheumatoid arthritis and where she had said, she's like, you know, that I want to do this and I want to do the ozone therapy and all the other things, but the lifestyle stuff, I just not sure I'm, I'm ready for. And he was like, I want you to think about it. And he's like, there will be a time when you are sick enough to make these changes. And that's not today, but I want you to know that we got to go all in. And this is just my clinical experience of watching people do what you're doing He's like, I've seen enough people come through the door to know that you're just not sick enough to make the changes. And I don't want you to be sicker than you are today. And I just thought it was like, oh my God, it could feel harsh and cutting yeah. <laughs> to someone. But I was like, what a beautiful way to put it. Only because, and he's speaking from his lived experience. I was like, man, that's a great, what a brave practitioner to put that out there. I know, I know. people could say that's triggering or maybe not celebrated in some circles, but I was like, man, what a that's some cojones there to put that on the table like that. <laughs> and that would have been me if I wasn't sick enough. I never would have been able to make such drastic changes. And so I deeply respect the people who aren't quite there yet and are still able to make that change, even if it's incremental steps. It's incredible. I took the easy way out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, the documentary part one that I watched, we jump right into some of the history of the metabolic approach to cancer, which you've referenced a couple times so far in the interview. And it has its roots in Otto Warburg and the functionality of the cell and re cellular respiration versus an acidic downstream production of energy metabolism. Could you break <laughs> that down for the audience a little bit? What, what is the metabolic approach to cancer? Yeah. By the way, I don't think that last term you used, like that sounds way sciencey for our documentary. I think yeah. we tried to really make it like easy to understand, right? You did, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when it's funny, cause actually we were just talking about, I was saying how hard it is to kind of get people to understand what we did or get them on board. And that is one of the main reasons that we made the documentary was to sort of make this easy to understand so that, you know, it's so hard when someone comes at you and is like, oh, well, you should just go on a keto diet. You know, it's like, that's really tough. And so that's what the documentary is trying to do is give you the scientific reasoning behind this metabolic approach to cancer. So what ends up kind of happening, what we're finding, or actually what was found a long time ago with cancer cells is that they love glucose. And that's just when you eat carbs, when you eat sugar, you get a lot of glucose in your blood. And one of the things that you can do to try and counteract that, a lot of times people say starve cancer. That's kind of a misnomer, but what you can do is lower your blood sugar. And that's what a ketogenic diet does by cutting out the carbs and cutting out the sugar. 
you're basically restricting the fuel that the cancer has that allows it to grow. And that was the limiting of the glucose was not found by Otto Warburg, but this idea that cancer cells use glucose instead of a different way of making energy that was found by this guy, Otto Warburg, uh, in the 1920s. So that has been scientifically proven for almost 100 years. Uh, we're almost there. It's, it's like 99 years ago. PET scan works, right? You get injected with the radioactive glucose. It goes into your tumors. And that's why 70 to 90% of late-stage cancers are glucose-starved. Yeah. And they want it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's exactly why a PET scan works. If your cancer cells weren't taking in more glucose than your regular cells there'd be no way to differentiate the two. And that's exactly what a PET scan does. It takes up more sugar than your regular cells. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And there's been other great scientists and authors who've I've read over time. Natasha Winters mm -hmm. is a book that I will often gift to people. I was like, hey, read this. So some of the people that you've included in the story in the documentary, why were these people invited to the conversation? Well, I'll, I'll jump one? in just because yeah. I take it. These started with some of the scientists and researchers, practitioners that really inspired me during my healing, but also some just really well-known scientists since then. And we want to present both sides of the story of the somatic mutation, the genetic theory of cancer, and the metabolic. So we have legendary scientists like Dr. Robert Weinberg up against people like Dr. Thomas Sapreed, who I'm sure most of you learned about. And for some of your more advanced listeners, we talk about the metabolism of glucose in the early days, but it does progress throughout other researchers like Peter Peterson from Johns Hopkins up to Dr. Sapreed, who discovered that it's not just a ravenous desire for glucose, but also glutamine. And then at this summit that we're we're going to have the real premiere alongside this. We have other researchers like uh, Dr. Matthew Binderheiden from MIT, who are now getting more conventional in studying the effects of nutrition on cancer. So this research is coming. And we started with some of the yeah. very early people, and we're getting up to just the very latest cutting edge researchers. Yeah, I, I love that. The idea that the research is evolving and it's coming. I always say it's really easy to read some of these books or watch some of these. You know, we've all seen the food documentary or Super Size Me or, oh, I'm trying to think, you know, who's the great documentary filmmaker from the 80s and 90s who did all the Ken Burns? Not Ken Burns. I love oh. Ken Burns, by the way. My dad <laughs> loves the Ken Burns documentaries about baseball. Yeah. he's That's like one of our bonding points. He's like, I watched the greatest documentary about Ken. My dad doesn't sound like that, but I just have to pick a dad voice. He loves Ken Burns. Oh, goodness. Who am I thinking of? He did the, the Colin Bine documentary. Yes. Oh, what's his name? Why am I drawing a blank no, on exactly. this? Bowling for Colin Bond. Matt. Oh. Michael Moore. Michael Moore. Moore. I'm glad I'm somebody the brain got it. Damage yeah. one. <laughs> I, know. Yeah. I was like, wait, what's happening? But sometimes it can be so polarizing that it, it almost creates a freeze because you're in so much fear and shock after seeing it. And, and yeah. I've always thought I was like, how do we invite, you know, both sides of the table into a conversation where we can change the institutionalized nature of medicine right now, which really, in my experience, that's what needs to happen. Yeah. And I mean, I hope that that you kind of got that. That's what we're trying to do with this documentary. Um, I don't want anyone to get the idea that even though we talk about the metabolic theory of cancer, we still just say, hey, there's a genetic theory. There's a metabolic theory. You know, like there's these are both theories. We're not trying to say one is right and one is wrong. It's just that we have very much fixated on the genetic theory for a long time and still hasn't been proven yet. And there people have tried really, really hard to prove that as a theory. And, and the treatments associated just and yeah, <laughs> the treatments coming out of it are a little underwhelming. And basically, we're just saying, hey, maybe we should take a look at cancer from a different angle. And one of the reasons for that is that if when you sort of have a metabolic therapy approach to it, like a ketogenic diet, they're turning out to be pretty successful. And so there's actually some clinical trials of a ketogenic diet for cancer going on right now. So obviously, if that is proven, that'll go a long way towards helping them the metabolic theory. But yeah, it's just this idea that, hey, science evolves, you know, we, we need to keep moving forward. So 
And you brought up a great point, Freddie, that nobody, there's no doctor out there who doesn't want to help people. They're just mm. constrained by this system that we're in. And the system is what needs to change. It's not to blame any individual in any way. Yeah. 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 It's, doctors are kind of stuck. They're stuck. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. I understand. I really do on a deep level. I understand both sides of it. Because if you went to school, if you went to medical school and you've been practicing 25 years of medicine and you get somebody that comes in and says, listen, I was on Google last night. Look what I found. Yeah. It's probably frustrating. The guy's like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, but it's also we've created, I think that avatar of that person that's in that seeker mentality, they are a functionary of the system that's no longer working for them. Yes. So everybody, I just find it so helpful just to just st take a step back and be able to see why these questions are coming up. You know, people want more yeah. from their, their general practitioner. They want more from their, I'm so lucky. I did this episode. I will send it to you three or four weeks ago with my nurse practitioner who in his office has an ice bath, red light therapy pulsed electromagnetic field, adaptive resistance exercise. I just went to my doctor's appointment. I go to the doctor every week. I go work out. You know, I go build Ew. muscle on my body. And this is the practice. You know, this is what you get. He's actually building a model where he's trying to incentivize people to be well. Knowing the human psyche, he's designed his practice to eliminate the, oh, I didn't get there this week. Oh, well, you've got an appointment to see me. That's what you're doing before you come in the office. You know, okay. you're going to get on some of these devices. So it's really, it's exciting to see it start to take hold. And the game changers are, they're asking better questions. Even in just the past five years, I'm amazed by the progress that's been made. Like I had to dig into journals, PubMed to discover this information. And now there's conferences about it. And even though there's still a lot of, People not willing to talk about it, it's coming. It has to because too many people are dying of cancer when there are cheap, inexpensive, safe therapies out there that can be used regardless of whether or not you're using conventional treatment. It drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish my, it's usually like a weekly thing. My inbox is like, hey, Freddie, I know you had cancer. I got diagnosed with, you know, triple negative breast cancer this week. And it's just, it's so common. You know, and it's in my immediate circle. It's very disheartening, you know, so I have a, a little short list of books. I'll tell people, hey, you know, this is be a great thing just to start reading, you know, yes. follow these people. These are great sources of unbiased information in my experience. But it is truly a lifestyle thing that I've learned that has to be all encompassing. And, and you said radical remission, Maggie, at the beginning of the interview is, is one of my favorite books because it really doesn't point to treatments. It points to a lifestyle shift. It does. And actually we're going to have two representatives uh, from radical remission at the summit that's going along with the world premiere. We also have uh, Dr. Colin Champ who talks about exercise for cancer, just like your nurse practitioner. So this is all coming out. And I just, we talked early on about trying to educate the doctors and there's some wonderful clinics that do that. There is Dr. Nisha Winters, there's uh, Josephine Barbados at the Keto Live Institute in mm. Europe. Yeah. But we realized we're not gonna be able to make a change educating doctors. We have to educate the people because they can enact the change by asking their doctors about it, fighting for it. And I see that change is coming and it's gonna be within our lifetime. and. I feel like people are going to look back at doctors saying, ah, camel's the best, smoke. The same way that we look right now at doctors saying, yeah, eat whatever you want, have an insurer and some orange juice with your chemo. Yeah. No. Amen. I see it coming too. I think it's important to hold the vision and speak the word and then to also to support platforms like Cancer Revolution. And I always think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that within this journey that you've held through your chronic cancer condition that you're like, oh, let's go make an award-winning <laughs> docu-series. You know, that's- This is why I got cancer. Uh, <laughs> this is big. This is a big project. How do you manage both the creative energy and the stress that can sometimes come along with a, a project like this? It was very difficult at the beginning. And Brad had to remind me about two years in that if we had any idea of how difficult and long this was going to be, we never would have started it. So thank goodness we were over-optimistic two years ago and still went for it. Go yeah. On. No, I mean, it's 
honestly, the hardest part is just the people that get, you know, send messages via whatever platform, just get it out there, get it out there, get it out there. That's the hardest thing because we are very specifically trying, we've two things have happened, but one is we're very specifically trying to make it a very polished and professional uh, documentary so that there's just so many people that will dismiss you, not because they care about anything else other than it just doesn't seem like it's high quality, right? Production quality. Yeah. And that's so weird. And since we had the skill to do that, we are sticking to our guns on that one just to kind of make something that lasts for a while. And then the other thing that happened was we thought we were going to make sort of like a, you know, like a 90 minute or two hour sort of feature documentary. And as we, you know, we did all our interviews and we like laid all this stuff out on a time, you know, a timeline. And I think it was like three hours and we had cut everything down to just like, you know, 10 minutes about keto, 10 minutes about Otto Warburg, 10, you know what I mean? And and we basically were just like, we wouldn't be doing this subject matter justice if we made a 90 minute documentary. And basically we're like, would we even be helping anyone? That was, that was, became the biggest crux, right? It was like, well, yeah, the project would be done, which, you know, that might be a a nice load off, I suppose, but it would be like, somebody reading you the PubMed article. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, if you had a summary of, you know, one of these great books that you've read that was, you know, five pages long, would that have had the same impact as reading the book? And probably not. And that's what we basically were like, hey, you know, who is our audience really? And that's when we were like, well, it's cancer patients and cancer caregivers. And we were like, we're really doing our audience a disservice if we condense this down to just like skimming over it. And so it led to a rethinking and it, and it definitely like strung out the timeline and, uh, and has re- led to some frustrations, but. But it's so good now. He is a natural um, storyteller and he just cannot, you saw episode one, like, yeah. it's not just laying out the science. It's explaining the social reasons why we haven't heard about this yet. And it has Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. So it's so we tried to make it fun. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you can learn something and also be entertained at the same time, we think. Yeah, the geopolitical temperament in 1930s when Otto Warburg was diving into his work. I've studied Otto Warburg for years and years and years, but through a different side, really from the field of pulse electromagnetics and looking at cell Mm. voltage and charge and pH of the cell and how that shifts with an electromagnetic wave, stimulating the cell's natural recovery process. And Otto Warburg did a lot of that work. And then to find out some of his backstory and his relationships, I was like, oh my God, I, there was a couple of times I wanted to cry because I had never given this guy, he was just, he was always quoted from a book where there were figures and stats and numbers of a shift in pH. But I was like, oh my goodness, this is so profound. I don't want to give anything away other than that everybody, you got to, you'll really love this because we've all been touched by cancer in our lives. We all will be. And I really think it's something to explore. I hope everybody takes the opportunity to jump in with both feet. So where can people watch The Cancer Revolution? So the world premiere for the public is going to be in September, and you can get all the details at cancerrevolution.events. And so the actual streaming of the episode one, and hopefully episode two, but not guaranteed, will uh, be for donations only. And that whatever donation that you can make to help fund the next upcoming episodes. But we're also having the summit that I mentioned alongside it because docu-series is about explaining the why, why do these work, what do you do? But it's actually the summit that has practitioners there who can really get into the how do you implement this? What's the latest research? Because it's changing constantly. And if we waited for all the science to be done, we would never get this out. So we want to just have the evergreen portion in the series and then have these summits so people can learn the latest with that foundation of the why. Yeah, so not till September. Unless they wanted to come to a uh, (laughs) (laughs) festivals. Yeah. If you look around, we have our events page. It's playing at some film festivals, you know, around. You can find it. And then we're also going to be at, if you're in Europe, we're going to be at the Keto Live conference in Switzerland in June. And at that conference, we're um, they've been extremely good to us. And so we're actually going to play the first episode there uh, and do a Q&A where we just answer everyone's questions as well. So Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's so exciting. I'm glad you're doing this together. I feel really good about this, <laughs> that you have 
your co-pilot all in place for this experience because it's going to be a really great ride. I think we definitely are supporting each other. There's definitely days where I'm like a little, it's just so much work, right? And then I just like look over at Maggie and she'll just be like, this is so exciting. I'm so glad we're doing this. And I'm just like, yeah, that's all I needed. That's that little boost, Good. right? <laughs> yeah. And vice versa, but it's just, it's us doing the day-to-day work, but it's the entire community that's come together to support us. Yeah. So yeah. grateful. Yeah. Can I ask you, Maggie, who did you use for your team that was open to you bringing in some of these <sighs> complementary therapies, the metabolic approach? Can you talk about any of that? I did not have any conventional support when I was diagnosed in Hong Kong or after I was NED and I moved to London. And even after we came here to Seattle, I tell my doctors now, they work for me. I let them know that, hey, I'm going to eat this way. I'm going to fast despite what they they say. With my brain radiation necrosis, I knew that I wanted to pursue hyperbaric oxygen. I've read the studies and my doctors were almost just angrily hostile about it. And yet six months later, here I am, not the vegetable that they tell me I'm going to be. And I actually have it in my chart. That was probably hyperbaric oxygen that was helping. So Brad and I just discovered this thing that I know my body more than anyone else. The doctors are wonderful. I admire them for their training and the ability to prescribe the medications that I want. But ultimately, it's me who decides. And I have agency in my health. Yeah. Well, you did bring on a sort of important, I would say, team member at one point. When did you start working with uh, Chuck Meekin? Meekin Meekin Metabolics. We'd like to give him a shout out because he is helping cancer patients right now. Meekin Metabolics. He's Um, in the documentary. He still prescribes my off-label drugs, and he is probably the only true healer. He started out as a uh, head of regular oncology on the East Coast, and now he runs his own metabolic oncology department, and he's incredible. Did he come on board for you when in your journey? No, oh, I, I don't remember, but not. It was after. It, it was indeed. after the the, <laughs> scan, the clean scan. Okay, yeah. I mean, we were kind of in a, a unique situation where since we were overseas, we actually, you know, I, I still we haven't really ever talked about it. But I mean, we like literally sat down after Maggie's diagnosis and we we're like, what are we gonna do? Just like we had just landed, you know, like in Hong Kong, it had been a month and we're like, do we just pack it all up and go back? And Maggie was like, no, let's like, keep going. Let's keep, you know, like, yeah. And we went to, I mean, it wasn't always fun, but we went to like eight different Asian countries that year, you know, just trying to make sure that we were living our lives. And uh, yeah. Wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, oh, but the, the, I'm sorry. My point was that we didn't really, except for just like online and her doing research, we didn't really have access to like a lot of things that, I mean, people in the U.S. are actually pretty lucky if you do some research, there's pretty, and it's on um, Cancer V Me, her website. You can find oncologists, you can find like s- sort of smaller integrative care centers that can help you do some of this. So for people that are out there, it is out there. Don't despair. You don't think that you have to do it on your own. No, work with Yeah, them. you can find a nutritionist, a dietitian, ask about one. Even even your hospital, which we're not giant fans of, they have a nutritionist, uh, you know, like on staff that can, you know, work with cancer patients. So I have to tell yeah. one story from Hong Kong. I Please. moved to a new hospital and I told my oncologist that I was doing keto. And he thought for a while, he's like, oh yeah, that's low fat, right? Yeah, should be fine. <laughs> so I didn't tell him anything else. He wanted me to talk to a nutritionist who would give me the whole usual spiel. And I was like, listen, I've studied this. I know it. I'm going to do it my way, no matter what I hear. And he let me go ahead and do it that way. And my doctors now, they admit my primary oncologist tells me that my way of treating myself is against his beliefs, but he also admits that I am in the longest lived patients that he has with a diagnosis like mine. So eventually I'm going to show him through my health and my healing that this might be something that's worth telling others about. Wow. That's profound. There is no light brighter than standing in your embodiment. If we had applause, we would just add that into the podcast at this point. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I have a question along the lines of this project that you're doing and the cancer revolution. And I know there could be probably do a 20 part series. You could just keep going because like we said, the the beauty of science is it's, it's always evolving and it's usually the outliers that sends it forward 25 years. So with that being said, and the idea that it's a big project, how are you managing the day-to-day stress and your interaction with the outside world? Like, what are your big techniques to to down-regulate? I know you mentioned meditation, but what does that look like? 
I meditate every day, first thing in the morning. Uh, we do yoga at least once a week. I'm actually a yoga teacher now, but just for my personal practice. We have a sauna now. And for me, because of my brain condition, I can't have too much activity, especially interaction with people, which is challenging because I love talking. I love talking to people, but I've had to scale back on that and it could be for the best there. And just always remembering that above all, my health is the first, most important thing because you have to put on your own oxygen mask before you can help others. So really, cancer taught me how to prioritize myself. Brad, I don't know what you do. One of the interesting things that I've just sort of stumbled across was a little bit of me time in the morning. I was never really a morning person up until a couple of years ago. And I've just started getting up at around 630 every day and make a cup of coffee and just sort of sit on the couch. And I just sort of sometimes I meditate. Sometimes I just read the newspaper. Sometimes I actually start working. Right. But it's just sort of that hour, that first hour of the day. I can do whatever I want with. I can just, you know, like sort of carve that out for myself. And yeah, if someone's trying to, it, it just sort of sets me up, I feel like for the rest of the day, right? I don't go into the day hurried and rushed, you know, like I just sort of take care of whatever I need to, you know, to get myself up and rolling. And yeah, I would definitely suggest if anyone, I know it's hard to find the time. It's hard to set that alarm like an extra half hour early, but it's something that I'm really surprised at how much it's helped me. And I'm still a stress basket case, but Brad's techniques have really helped me. I never would have made it this far. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, breathing. We do yoga once a week. We usually go to a yoga class and just sort of help reset, you know, everything. That's usually on Sundays to kind of help like do a little bit of a reset. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many tools in the toolbox. It's fascinating to me to hear what works for other people and how simple it can be. More importantly, that it's in the formulaic equation that there's something that is dedicated me time or self time or reflection or time to downregulate. Cause I think we overestimate what we can do in a day, but here you guys are making a, this, do, this documentary platform, which is, it's a huge milestone. It's like building the empire state building, you know, you're in uh, creation of this, you know, wonderful project, which <laughs> has sky's the limit. So. Well, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, like how research keeps evolving and that type of thing. And we're, while we do have a very set four episode structure for this one, it, for a while it was five and we decided to simplify it. So we've now made it four also to help get it out faster. We had a storyline that I really wanted to get in there. And I was like, it's just, we're just going to, it's going to go on the cutting room floor, unfortunately. But there's so much out there. Like you say, we're basically like, hey, once this four episodes are out, that kind of actually frees us up to like dive into some other stuff. So whether yeah. we'll have a full season or what we'll do, we're not sure yet, but we're already sort of looking at and leaning towards continuing this in some way. Season two. Yeah. Season two. I love it. I'm so inspired by the things, some of the things that have worked for me, which again, very similar conversation that they're like, no, you can't heal that. You can't fix that. That's not fixable. We don't have a fix for that. Here I am, and some of the things have been completely remediated or repatterned in my body, scar tissue that shouldn't be able to grow back, or you don't have lymph nodes, but it's the other tissue has taken up the role of those. It's so fun, and I know there's evolving research around pulsed red lights and pulsed electromagnetic field, and now the new science coming out around ice baths looking at this mm. conversion of white adipose tissue to brown fat, which is more mitochondrially dense. And they're seeing people. I've got two people in my circle now who just doing ice baths have had some remission. I mean, yeah. these are not so, I mean, I have two in my circle, but you're hearing this more and more. And now there are some, there's some white papers coming out. So it's really exciting that we're looking at and everything we could argue or we could create a theory that everything that I'm talking about has stress reduction involved. But that you bring up such an important point that there is no one way for everyone. And I know that's really frustrating for a lot of people who contact me is what worked for me may not work for you, but you have to find your healing that is going to work for you. And for your audience, I think a great story is with my brain radiation necrosis. In my last scans in December, I talked to my neuro-oncologist, and he told us that if he showed my scans, my MRIs, to 10 different doctors, 
all mm. 10 would say I'm a vegetable. And he has, this was one week after I came back from a solo trip to Bali for my yoga teacher training. And they have no idea why my brain can look like the mush that it is, but I'm still living this wonderful life. And so I can't emphasize enough to people, don't let your scans, don't let your doctors tell you how you're supposed to feel. You feel the way your body tells you. Yeah. Yeah. The heart is such a strong compass and it knows the body knows. We know when we have a full body. Yes. When we have a full body, no, and somebody is telling us how it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I celebrate you for tuning into that. It's really beautiful. Uh, I can't do that because I couldn't do it before. I was going to just add a touch to your ice bath idea, which is, you know, just this hormesis idea, right? Where it's like, whether it's a sauna, whether it's an ice bath, you know, whether it's hyperbaric oxygen, I mean, or even exercise, there's so many ways that you can sort of put a small amount of stress on your body. And that just takes care of these cells that are just barely hanging on. And those are the cells that become cancerous over time, right? These cells that really should be sort of sloughed off and go into the apoptosis, right? Those are the cells that if they hang around, they can become cancerous. And so it totally makes sense to me that, you know, there's all kinds of things that can help you, right? If you're helping to just get rid of your old cells that your body doesn't need, yeah, it's working. Yeah. I always go back to the idea that the body was functioning. It was dealing with cancer perfectly well until it wasn't. So what did that body look like? And how do we bring those mechanisms back online? And I think that's what they're starting to show with some of the different ways that quantifying a red light laser or quantifying oxygenation of the tissue through hyperbarics or even hydrogen gas is another one that's coming up now for people who are undergoing radiation therapy managing and mitigating the collateral damage on peripheral tissue. So in yeah. some countries use it is, oh, there's a hydrogen bar in Japan. It's normal. Everybody does it there. So yeah, as more information is shared and we're able to get better data on it to better understand so we can create a shared belief system in which this is a thing. I mean, that's why I do this show. And I think that's why you guys are doing what you're doing. And I can't, emphasize enough that science does evolve. And I was recently banned from Reddit for claiming that, <laughs> that science isn't done, that we're not going to have to have over 600,000 people dying from cancer every year because we can still learn things and be open to that and to a future that's going to be incredible. Yeah. 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 What we know could fit in a thimble, right? I mean, I know. so when people are like, well, that's not proven, you know, you're mm. just like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're not trying to advocate for things that aren't proven, but we're trying to just definitely say, hey, let's maybe try to we should look at it one way or another. Yeah, maybe it's worth looking at. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a tough time to share data and information. And I get it. I really do. It's like, what's the source? What's the validity? I question everything I read. You know, yeah. you never know. I think it's only going to yeah. become more complicated with some of the AI generated content. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, you know, background in music theater and television film. And, and I was just looking at that SAG-AFTRA had already negotiations had in the contract, you could sell your avatar to be in past episodes of like <laughs> seasons of films or television series that have been filmed 10 years ago. They're like, yeah. oh, well, someone might want to order a season 10 for all in the family and they're just going to be able to order it and that the thing is going to generate it and you'll get a percentage. I was like, this is wild. So easy. Yeah. Another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and let's get this stuff out while there still is some idea of credibility that we can it take will, hold of. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully there are ways to navigate that. But yeah, I mean, how will we know? That does seem like it's going to be tough. How will we know? I tell yeah. you how we'll know as I yeah. think there will be a pullback and from making all your engagement online. And for me, that was when I read that article, I was like, oh man, what a great case for things like KetoCon. What a yeah. great case mm. for a live summit where everybody goes away to Colorado for a weekend and we see each other when we hug. I'm going to Boise, Idaho on Wednesday morning to a big company called Cellcore. They they do humic and fulvic acids to help the body detoxify from glyphosate and different nutraceuticals around Lyme and mold toxicity. But we're going to be there with like 600 doctors. And it's a totally different experience from being on a Zoom call. 
You know, you hear, you feel things in a different way. You learn in a different way. And there's a case to be made for society going back to these developing our close communal roots, you know, reevaluating these things. So I hope that's the direction. I always think there's going to be something good to come from it, even if it sounds a little scary to say I could generate season 10 of All in the Family. Yeah. (laughs) And hopefully it'll come with something to accommodate people who just can't get out right now or can't afford to travel. But the future just gets better and better. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, I want to be mindful of our hour. I celebrate all the work that you're doing. We are going to do a special code for people to get into the summit. And we're going to, I think it's Freddie 20. And yes, I know that's what it is. I will put that in the front of the show just so people can get on the list for the summit that's happening in September. Thank you. And we're just going to continue talking about this project. So I'm so excited. I'm I'm excited to go rewatch episode one with some friends and family because for me, it really is. It's like, just make your inner circle thirsty to learn more about some of these things. We don't have to wait till we have a late stage cancer diagnosis to make some of these big life changes that we know now from the evolving science really do make a difference in how we live on the planet. So I applaud you for doing the work you're doing. Thank you. Freddie, thank you so much for your support and to this entire community for the support. Yeah. Thank you so much. And helping us share our message too. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are the real deal. I wish everybody was there at KetoCon. You can go next year in Austin, Texas. Uh, I think think we might be speaking actually. It's probably going to happen. Let's put that, (laughs) let's put that out there and just, but just to see you guys are in such integrity and you embody the things you're talking about. And it's just evident just from meeting you for, you know, a half hour, an hour. So again, thank you for being you. Thank you for doing the work you're doing and, and showing up the way you're showing up. And it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I need to ask you the beautifully broken podcast, Maggie, I'll let you go first. What does it mean to you to be beautifully broken? Oh, to have an opportunity to heal it then. <laughs> it's cancer for me. And it's the best thing that ever happened. If I hadn't been broken, I wouldn't have started healing. Beautiful. And Brad, what does it mean to you to be beautifully broken? I guess just the idea of, you know, like none of us are perfect. And so just, you know, embrace that. And just, I don't know, I think living with the idea that I'm not infallible or, you know, that I can make mistakes and every day learning from them. Yeah. Amazing. And then Maggie, I'm going to give you your own question. You get a magic wand and you're going to turn on a TV screen in your living room. And all of a sudden, everybody on the planet is going to tune in. You get to talk to the whole planet for 30 seconds. One, two, three, go. What's your message? You're in charge. It's up to you. You have agency. Don't listen to anyone but your body and what you know is right. And if you don't know yet, spend some time with yourself and you'll understand how to tap in and your body will guide you. And like, sorry, I hope there's something better on after me. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. (laughs) And just remind everybody one more time where they can go to support the cancer revolution. So if you just want information about the film, go to Cancer Revolution, that's with one R in the middle, dot film. And that'll also have a link to the events page, cancerrevolution.events, that has all our speakers for the summit, the schedule, and you can make a donation to stream the film or sign up for the summit there. Beautiful. And we're also on YouTube. Uh, that's probably one of the best places to you know find out more about us since we do mostly deal in the video, a Cancer Revolution doc is our uh, handle on YouTube. Cancer Revolution Doc. I'm going to go subscribe and follow you right now. <laughs> thank <laughs> Team, you. thank you for being a guest on the Beautifully Broken Podcast. Have a beautiful day. Big love. Thank you, thank you so much for having us, Freddie. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are moving on a four-year relationship. That's got to be some kind of a record. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, head over to Apple or Spotify and please give us a review. I know how busy you are. I know you got a list of things to do that's a mile long, but it makes more people across the world hear this mission. And one more ask before you go, there's a way that you and I can continue learning. 
there's a way that you and I can continue to deepen the relationship that started in this episode, you could visit beautifullybroken.world and you can check out our brand new website and store. Listed are all the wellness tools, the supplements, the articles backed by scientific protocols to move forward into wellness, the products that I am using and I personally love. Most of them offer a significant discount by clicking the link or using the code. And the beautiful part, they don't cost you anything extra. And at the same time, they do support the show. Now, we have another new feature alert. I don't want to overwhelm you. But if you want to see the beautiful faces of our guests, if you want to watch me unbox and review products, head over to our brand new YouTube channel, Beautifully Broken World. This last message is from my vast team of internet lawyers. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only. By listening, you agree not to use the information found here as medical advice to treat any medical condition in yourself or others. Always consult your own physician for any medical issues that you might be having. Our closing, the world is shifting. We need you at your very best. So take the steps today to always be upgrading. Remember, while life is pain, putting the fractured pieces back together is a beautiful process. I love you. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel.